pray and we'll begin with our few verses today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for a beautiful day outside, uh, just the changing leaves, just a reminder of your faithfulness uh, this time of year. Um, and God, we just pray you bless our day today, be with our time in your word uh, in our study this morning. Just give us wisdom and insight. Help us to marvel at your creative ability, the beauty of your creation, just your artistic ability. And uh, we pray for kids and youth downstairs as well during this time that you just bless uh, bless them and bless their uh, ability to learn and to uh, take in your word. Uh, we pray for our service in just a little while as well that you would be worshipped in our midst today, that your word would challenge our hearts and that we would seek to uh, live out the truth that we see in your word. Uh, so God, we just thank you for your blessings. We lift the day up to you and uh, just pray that we would worship you today in spirit and truth. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're on to Genesis chapter 1, verses 9 through 13 this morning. So, so far we've covered two days of creation, and the two days of creation so far, as well as this, uh, this day here, is uh, going to deal with separation, okay? Uh, we talked about in day one, the separation of light and darkness. God called the light day, the darkness he called night. Last week we talked about the separation of the waters below from the waters above. Some different theories with that, whether it's the canopy theory, whether this is just the waters that we see suspended in the air, uh, that kind of separation. And as we pick up here in verse 9, we're going to see another separation of water and dry land as well as the creation of vegetation. So let's read verses 9 through 13, and then we'll kind of walk through this passage together. And God said... Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which, it, which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Okay, so a couple creative aspects we're going to touch on this morning. The first one is God separates the water from the dry land. Okay, so the waters below are separated. I think at this point, we've talked about how, verse 2, the earth was without form and void, um, shapeless is that idea, uninhabitable. At this point, it seems like there's a sphere of water that the materials that would become dry land, rock, minerals, that kind of thing, are suspended in that water. And then as God speaks, there's a separation of water from dry land. Okay, So there's water basins created, there's dry land. Um, and so there's this watery sphere that now is shaped. God speaks, and there's land that appears, and then course he names the dry land earth which is the same word in verse uh, one arets just means dirt or earth and then he names the waters seas okay they gather in one place it says uh, henry moore says tremendous chemical reactions got underway as dissolved elements precipitated and combined with others to form the vast complex of minerals and rocks making up the solid earth its crust, its mantle, and its core. So just think about the dry land, all that goes into that. All these materials, these elements are coming together to form 
the various minerals, the various types of rocks we have, um, you know, as he believes and, and it makes sense, the, the earth's core, all this is formed in this creative act of separating the water uh, from the land, from the earth, okay? Um, so let me ask this question as we think about this. What do you think the earth looked like at this point? And we're going to, I'm going to walk through some aspects of this question, okay? So let's think about what the earth looks like in this state. Dry land's been created. There's uh, all the waters gathered into one place, it says. So there's seas. So the first question in relation to what did the earth look like, what, do you think there was, you think there were the continents like we have today, seven continents, or do you think this is one land mass? What do you think? Don't be afraid to be, really, there's no way to tell you if you're wrong because we don't fully know, but what do you think? What were you saying, Christy? Okay, so you think there were the continents like we have today? Okay, anybody think any differently? Like I said, we, we really don't know for sure. We, there's really no way of knowing exactly what the conditions prior to the flood were. But personally, I think it makes sense that there probably was one landmass. It talks about the water being gathered into one area, which means, of course, even today, the water, the, the oceans, Pacific Ocean, Atlantic, Indian, all these are connected. So they're really like one body of water, but you do have lakes and things like that. Courtney? Yes. So here's a picture, right, and, and even um, non-creationists, a lot of them hold this view that at one point all the, all the uh, continents were one landmass, okay? And, and it makes sense. When you look at South America and you look at Africa, they seem to fit almost perfectly together. And so you see on the map there, if you can see it, Africa and South America are kind of there. You even think about North America, how... The Gulf of Mexico kind of fits nicely over South America. You see some of the other continents. So this is just a model. Again, do we know for sure that Earth looked like this? We don't know. Um, but there's a lot of evidence to suggest that this might have been the case. In fact, um, the next question kind of talks about this as well. So I, I wanna, don't want to jump ahead. But it seems to me like if this were the state of Earth prior to the flood that when the flood happens, it's so, such a cataclysmic event that it sends the continents spreading out. And really, even today, we can, we can track continental drift, that there's a little bit of the, the continental uh, plates are still somewhat shifting very slowly. So there could have been an event that separated them, and then they're still kind of slowly separating, okay? Um, the next question, so about landmass, uh, again, just speculation, but very possible, uh, what about mountains? Did mountains exist in this day and age when God first creates the dry land? Never thought about it? All right, well, we know there was some, some sort of either mountain or small hills. Genesis seven nineteen to 20, talking about the flood, says that the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Okay? 
So it used the word mountains. It can also be translated hills. So, you know, I think the picture is there are some form of mountains or, or hills, but they, they couldn't have been as tall as the mountains we have today because scientifically it's not possible. If we take all the water on earth, it's not possible to raise the water above the level of the mountains, right? So they couldn't have been as tall as they are now. And so, uh, again, I think, the, and we're going to get to a lot of this when we talk about the flood, but I think a lot of, it's really hard to imagine what earth was like prior to the flood because the flood was such a cataclysmic event that it changed topography, it changed everything, okay? Um, and we're going to see that, and Genesis shows that, even life expectancy plummets. So clearly the atmosphere, uh, the environment's changed a lot. So seems to me the mountains weren't as high that, you know, if you have a canopy theory, whatever the view is, all the water comes down, it covers the mountains, and then maybe even as those floodwaters are still covering, God's shaping the topography underneath, separating the continents, rising the mount, raising the mountains, lowering the basins. And we actually see that in um, Psalm 104, 5 through 9. David seems to be referencing God's acts after the flood. In, in Psalm 104, 5 through 9, David writes, He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. So David could very well be referencing God covering the earth with a flood and then raising the mountains, the valleys are sinking uh, at his command, and now they're not going to cover that dry land anymore. So even as you put these ideas together, um, there's a lot of belief that the Himalayan mountains were formed. If you see there on that map of Pangaea, just at the Horn of Africa there is labeled India, right? India is not right there next to Africa, and so there's a lot of belief that India as the continents drifted, collided with that continent of Eurasia, and that's what formed the Himalayan mountains. That's the highest mountain range on earth. The rocks are the same density, and so it wasn't like one went over the other, so they collided and created those mountains. So maybe this is all happening as those floodwaters are covering the earth. God is reshaping the topography. Again, this is all speculation. We don't know for sure. Um, We can only come up with theories, but it makes a lot of sense that Things change dramatically after the flood, and so this could be the reason we have higher mountains as God, of course, is orchestrating those things, creating, causing the mountains to rise up and the waters to sink. So there's not enough water on earth right now to cover the highest mountain range, but scientifically they have shown that if you were to lower the mountains, raise the basins in the ocean, the water would actually cover the surface of the earth two miles deep, around two miles deep. So you know, if, if the mountains weren't as high, the valleys and the, the, the water basins weren't as low prior to the flood, it's possible all that water could have covered. And then as God shifts those things, um, things change, mountains rise, the land is there. Any thoughts about that? Anything you'd add or questions about that? Again, this is kind of speculation, but trying to think about maybe what earth looks like at this point as God creates it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, so again, a lot of this is speculation. It's more just getting us thinking through conditions, thinking through things is just more of why, why I ask these questions. So the next question is, this water that is separated from the land, is it salt water or fresh water? What do you think? Salt water or fresh water? Just, these are good exercises to get us thinking. Again, we don't know. We can't for sure know. But it's good to think through. Salt water, fresh water. What do you think? Okay, no, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really, truthfully, yeah, we don't know for sure, but, but you're right, you're, you're definitely, and that, that's a good way of thinking because, truthfully, they'd have to start out less salty to get more salty. It's, it's really hard to take the salt and the minerals out. Um, in fact, there's salt added to the oceans, and we can track this, which is actually a really uh, strong case for a young earth. Because if the earth is millions or billions of years old, it would be way more salty than it is. They can track the rate of oceans and, or of uh, rivers and streams uh, and the minerals they add to the water to make it saltier. They can track that salinity, and it wouldn't take millions of years to be as salty as it is now. So um, I kind of think, again, this is all speculation, I kind of think there were probably some salty... You know, this big, you know, as you look at the, the map of Pangea, that's probably salt water. There are animals that are created just a few days or the next day or two days later, sorry, day five. Um, and we know there are certain fish that can only live in salt water or fresh water. Now, there's some level of they can adapt to their environment to a degree, um, but it makes sense that there's probably a little bit of salt water, uh, maybe not as salty as it is today. There's probably fresh water. It mentions rivers and streams. In Genesis 2, so there's probably fresh water and there's probably salt water, but not as salty as today. Again, just just speculation, okay? But I do love to think about the fact that, you know, uh, evolutionists will use all types of dating methods to try to speculate how old the earth is. But if you use the dating method of the salinity of the ocean, it demonstrates a younger. So it's easy to cherry pick. There's so many different dating methods. It's easy to cherry pick the ones that seem to suggest an old earth when there's several, not just this one, that seem to demonstrate a young earth, okay? So just, just worth mentioning, worth, worth thinking about. So any thoughts or questions about verses 9 through 10, the separation of water and land, before we move on to this idea of vegetation? Any, any questions or thoughts? All right. If you think of them at the end, you can let me know, but... Um, verses uh, 11 through 13, now we see after the land is formed, God immediately causes vegetation to sprout. Uh, and we actually see here um, a couple different uh, types of plant life that God creates. Okay, There's three main types mentioned here. Uh, this would be grasses, so vegetation, herbs. Okay, So it talks about, um, it mentions vegetation, plants yielding seed, and then fruit trees bearing fruit. So Grasses, herbs, and trees are what these are referencing that are created. Um, 
Henry Moore says, the term grass is intended to include all spreading, ground-covering vegetation. Herbs includes all bushes and shrubs, and trees includes all large woody plants, including even fruit-bearing trees. Okay? So here he's creating the vegetation to cover the land, grasses, herbs, bushes, things like that, trees. Um, I like this quote from John Phillips. It's amazing to think about this. But it's estimated that there are more than 100,000 species of plant life uh, around the globe and that there are more than 5,000 different forms of grass alone. Just think about that. 5,000 different types of grass. I can only think of like Bermuda grass. What? There's a couple different ones. Bluegrass. Yeah, different stuff like that. But there's over 5,000 forms of grass. So we see God's creative ability in creating this plant life right after the earth is formed, okay? So, are these plants, so let's think about trees specifically. Um, they're probably easier to wrap our heads around. Are these trees created as seeds that then grow up to maturity, or what state are they created in? Yes, yep. Yep, you got it. We know from Scripture, and we're not to animals yet, but with, with plant life and animals, the chicken came first. And so, yeah, which came first, the tree or the seed? The tree. That's what Scripture reveals to us. So these trees are created with maturity, right? Just like when Adam and Eve are created, they're not created as infants that then grow up. They're created as mature human beings, right? And so... I say this to say there's going to be a slight appearance of age, right? I don't know this for sure, but if you were to cut a tree down in that day and age, would there be rings? Maybe, maybe not. If there were rings, maybe a tree has 100 rings, and you say, that's a 100-year-old tree. Well, no, God created that in an instant. Now, is that deceptive on the part of God to create things with the appearance of age? I don't think so. In fact, if we come to Scripture and let Scripture speak and be the lens that we view the world through, we would then clearly say, yeah, God's clearly told us that he's created things with a level of age, a level of maturity, not millions of years, but maybe the appearance of some age here as he creates it in that mature state from the beginning, okay? So they're created with a a level of maturity. I love that you, because I had the same thought about the chicken and egg, and I love the idea, and, and I think this is something that we see throughout Scripture, these, these trees and these plants are producing after their kind. And there's a theme throughout, really, all of Scripture, but especially Genesis, there's a theme of seed. Okay, We're going to see it, especially when we get to Adam and Eve and the promise of the gospel that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. We see the promise to Abraham to provide a seed uh, that would you know, be blessing. There's, there's blessing, there's seed, there's land that's promised to Abraham. So, This is a theme we see throughout Genesis, setting the stage for Scripture, that is introduced here. So I'm glad you caught that and thought about just this idea of God's creating plant life and then animal life and then human life to reproduce. And so that's what we see introduced here. So definitely something to take note of. So it mentions as well about the, the trees and about the seed that they're producing after their own kind. What does that mean? We see this again with animals producing after their kind. What what do you think that means? 
Right. Apple trees are going to produce other apple trees. Now, are there a variety of apples, a variety of apple trees? Yeah, and we can even take apple trees, and I don't know how they do it, but they can genetically breed them almost and make Honeycrisp apples. I think those are apples that specifically they've engineered to be especially sweet and juicy and things like that. Uh, I think even bananas, the way they've created them to be able to fit in the hand is something that mankind has sort of adapted and bred together, or waterless watermelons, things like that, our seedless watermelon, not water, that, that wouldn't be good, right? I don't like watermelon anyway, but that would be even worse. But seedless watermelons or seedless fruits, they're able to, and again, this is way above my head, just like with animals, they're able to breed them, but they're producing after their kind. I have yet to see, here's our new invention, it's an apple orange or you know, some, some uh, combination of two different kinds of fruit trees or two different kinds of animals, okay? Which this is the foundation of evolution, is that animals have changed over time and change species, right? And yet there's no evidence in the fossil record of any kind of links between different species, right? That's what we call it the missing link. There's yet to find this link between evolution. And so we see this idea that God from the beginning has created plant life, animal life to produce after its own kind. Now, there are variations just like with dogs. Absolutely, okay? But they're producing after their kind. They're not, it's not a dog becoming a cat or an apple tree producing oranges, things like that. So this is important. Uh, to think about as well that God has intended them to reproduce after their kind, okay? And we'll talk a little bit more about that with the creation of animals, and then even when we get to the ark and you see two of every kind, it blows our mind to think, how could there be two of every kind of animal? Well, it wasn't necessarily two of every, every uh, single species, but two of every family structure probably. So a dog kind, a cat kind, things like that. Um. There's also a strong case in here against evolution uh, and against just this old earth view. And it's that really according to the evolutionary time frame, they actually believe the first life created was marine life. And then after millions of years of marine life evolving, plants actually came after marine life. Okay, And then as they evolve more, there's other animals and things like that. But... What we see, and we're going to see in just a couple days, the course of three days, all animal life's created, okay, by day six. And there is this um, almost symbiotic relationship between many animals and plants. We know, of course, here's God's provision of not creating animals and letting them go hungry for a couple days or for, as some people would view, thousands of years. That wouldn't have worked. But creating the plant life, creating the earth, having it suitable for then when he creates uh, animal life, okay, and mankind. So it's, he's preparing it. But also there are plants that rely upon certain animals. Um, think about flowers. They are pollinated by bees or by other insects, okay? And there's one specific illustration of this, I think, that demonstrates just that these, the, there couldn't be ages of thousands of years here in Genesis chapter 1. They have to be literal days because this plant... These plants could not have survived without animal life for thousands or millions of years, okay? One illustration of this is the yucca plant. It grows in Mexico, and there's an insect called the yucca moth, named after the plant or vice versa, whichever was named first. But the yucca plant cannot reproduce on its own, and it has to be very close to another yucca plant uh, 
if it were to do that, but it relies upon pollination by an insect. But not every insect can pollinate a yucca plant. It has to be specifically the yucca moth that pollinates the yucca plant. And so you see here this, like I said, almost symbiotic relationship where the yucca plant can't survive without the yucca moth and the yucca moth can't survive without the yucca plant. So they have to be created in a relatively short time of uh, time between each other. Okay, so evolution can't account for this. If we're, if we're trying to plug in millions of years or, or thousands of years in the days of Genesis. It doesn't fit with what we see here in the narrative. Okay. The last thing I want to think about uh, that it's easy to skim over as we think through this is just stop and reflect. And this is a great time of year to do this. Reflect upon just the beauty of plant life that God's created, the artistic ability that God has to create flowers of various color, to create the changing of the leaves that is just so beautiful this time of year. Uh, it speaks to another attribute of God, his artistic ability that he values beauty. He could have created this life bland and black and white, but he's created in, in vibrant color. Um, plants, of course, are ne- a necessity to life, right? Whether we are plant eaters or not, well, most of us hopefully eat some vegetables or fruits. But even if we don't, if we're solely meat eaters, where do they get their nutrients and their food from plants, things like that? So plant life is necessary, but it's also beautiful, right? There's a beauty in that. And even as we think about food itself, maybe you don't agree with, with, with uh, liking fruits or vegetables, but they have a flavor to them, right? Fruits taste good. Vegetables, most of them taste good, right? Um, animals taste good. So God has created not this bland, okay, just got to eat food, there's no taste buds, things like that. But we see just the joy that God's created in admiring the beauty that he's created and enjoying his creation. So I think these speak to his nature, his character as well, okay? So just like last week, I I, I remember I prayed and then I kind of forgot about one aspect I want to touch on. But here again, we see a pushback against the pagan views of creation. In this day and age, there were gods of land, there were gods of sea that were worshipped, and yet God says, no, that's, there's not a God that created the land, uh, or that's the land God or the sea God. He's the God over creation, right? Uh, even in various cultures, they worship fertility, and many times that fertility was seen as crops or plants or things like that, that, you know, this fertility God was the source of. No, God says here, no, I've created all plant life, right? So instead of worshiping the creation, here we're pointed to the creator of all these things, even today, uh, our culture worships Mother Nature, our Mother Earth, right? Um, there's a big focus on that, a big emphasis upon the creation and a neglect of the Creator. So I think it's important as we read this to think about how this pushes back against even our culture today and not worshiping, as Romans 1 would say, the creation, okay? We can admire the beauty of creation, but we're not worshiping a tree or a flower. We're worshiping the one who had the artistic and creative ability to speak those things into existence. So it's always worth noting as we study these, as amazing as this is, let's not get caught up in the creation as much as the creator and what it reveals about him, okay? So any, any thoughts? I know we, I, I'm trying to shorten our time because the foyer uh, gets filled up and a lot of times we don't have times for questions or things like that. 
So we're pretty much done, but if there are any other questions, maybe questions as I opened it up last week that as we've gone through, you've thought of and haven't had the chance to ask, any questions or thoughts that you want to add to what we've looked at this morning or what we've looked at in the first part of Genesis? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Right, yeah, and that's a strong possibility, right? Did, we'll, I mean, I don't think we'll, I probably will forget to touch on this, but did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Probably not, right? I mean, that, that's just something you don't think about a lot, but we have to at least acknowledge things were different. And, yeah, they're, they're very, they're very well may not have been rings in the first trees. You know, I kind of think, you know, as you think about what produces the tree, it's going through those seasons and changes that creates the ring. So, yeah, it, it's very likely that God just created it, and it's solid wood on the inside, right? So definitely, it, again, these are just exercises to get us thinking, to not just read through, okay, yeah, God created everything, move on, and then science says something else, and we're blindsided. No, as we look through the lens of Scripture and a biblical worldview, Everything points to that. Everything is, confirms what, what uh, Genesis teaches as we're looking at it through this lens of Scripture. Okay? Any other thoughts or questions? If nothing else, always be thinking through. Ask questions. Ask what, what's happening here. We get so used to reading these passages that we just read through them, but stop and think and meditate upon it, okay? All right, let's pray, and then we will transition to our service here in just a little bit. God, we pause again, and we just thank you for your creation. We thank you for your creative ability. God, that you've not created uh, everything around us in black and white with uh, flavorless plants. God, you've created things to be uh, exciting and beautiful, and um, they all point us to you and your attributes, your nature. As Romans 1 says, that all these things point us to you as creator. Uh, they're evidence that speaks night and day. And so, God, we just thank you for your creation. We thank you that uh, it points us to you and your love for us and um, that you're not just our creator, God. You are our savior and you've redeemed us. And so, God, we just uh, pray we would meditate upon these things. That we would not get caught up worshiping the creation, but worship you as creator of, of everything. So, God, we thank you for your word today. Again, we pray you bless our service here in just a little bit, that we would uh, remove any distractions that may uh, be in our life so that we could focus upon worshiping you and hearing from your word and being challenged by it. So, God, we lift the day up to you again and pray for uh, just your blessings upon us and that you would be honored in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen.